see this. pigs and prayer warriors hello gamers that's an interesting way to say happy birthday to me (laughs) i was about to say everyone wish a belated happy birthday to virgil it's not belated because it's my birthday the whole month oh right it's a birthday month so it's sort of like how black history month got extended (laughs) into march this year because people were on bad behavior and well, I feel like it gets extended into March enough. because March is your birthday month also. Yeah. So it seems like it gets extended every year based on that alone. But then it gets extended a little longer after your birthday because yeah, of the March bad behavior. Is, March is all for me mm-hmm. and not for anyone else. Nothing True. else happens in March. No, nothing. Nothing you know at all. You I share a birthday with? Who? Chuck Norris. Oh. I bet you thought I was going to say Osama Bin Laden. No, but, no, because I, I, I know his birthday is on a different day, but I don't that remember. Is on my, it's on my day. Come on. Oh, it is? This is yes, I've said this so many times. Ugh, I, I've I, said this I know you've said that he's also a Pisces. Yeah, and we have the same birthday. You have the same birthday. And you have the same birthday as Chuck Norris, which I think is very fitting. Right. And I was thinking that something that would be cool, you know, my first name, last mm-hmm. name, Virgil Masters, Chuck Norris... Not the same amount of syllables, doesn't really matter. But do you remember the Chuck Norris jokes of of yesteryear? I do. I, do. I feel like it'd be cool the ancient if, texts. if we replaced them with my name because mm. I am also a narcissist. I don't know if he was responsible for those, I but I'm also is. like significantly cooler than him. Yeah. I I think I was He's like maybe too young when those jokes were coming out to like know what the pop culture significance of chuck norris was and i i mean for most people around that time it was just that he yeah most people around that time told me he was just a guy he starred in a couple movies but like none of them were like that's not like vin diesel no he's he wasn't really a vin diesel type even at the time i mean i guess he started in like kids movies and adult movies but like i don't think he he was like comparable you know, in terms of like star power, I think it was just a fun guy because he was also in like a bunch of kung fu movies. So it's like okay, he's like but really so strong. Like Bruce Lee, like what was yeah. the? I don't know how it got to be Chuck Norris, but but since we share a birthday, here are some examples. Uh, Virgil Masters does not sleep; they wait. Hmm, I don't really get that one. Uh, they, like they wait for. Um, attacks. Ooh, I guess. On the seventh day, God rested. Virgil Masters took over. Ooh. Um, if paper beats rock and rock beats scissors and scissors beat scissors, not scissors, scissors beat paper, what beats all three at the same time? 
Virgil Masters. Masters. Virgil Masters. Uh, Virgil Masters went to the Virgin Islands, and when they came back, they were just called the Islands. Mm. Uh, <laughs> uh, what do we? What do we think? Oh, it takes I, Virgil Masters twenty minutes to watch sixty minutes. That was pretty good. Oh, I like that. It's kind of like those jokes that are like, to the Joker, crazy frog is just a frog. To the you Joker, know? a Philadelphia cheesesteak is just a cheesesteak. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's true for everyone else that lives in Philly also. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say you could you could replace Virgil Masters in the place of both the Joker to the Joker memes and Chuck Norris memes. And hold on. Are. Virgil yeah, Masters yeah, yeah. tears cure cancer. Too bad they have never cried. That's true. I don't really cry. It's it's That's not true. You don't. I mm-hmm. do it once a year over like something that deserves it, and then I it's put like a them crying away. jag, and then you like jag. Yeah, it's a crying jag. What's what's a jag? It's like a it's like a very short, sharp cry. Well, I, I'm not gonna say how long I do it for. It's just I'll do mm-hmm. it one time for the mm-hmm. whole year over something worthy, and then I'll probably let everyone in my life know that I had my (laughs) annual cry and what it was over and everyone will be like oh that was a really good cause that was Mm -hmm. like a that was a good reason to cry it was very selfless sometimes it'll be over it it it, you know it never has anything to do with my personal life no of course not about the world and I'll I'll be like oh it's so sad that the world is in such a state and I'll I'll get myself worked up about it and I'll do my annual cry and then I'll put that that away and people are like next year you're so benevolent or, thank you I, last year actually i did my annual cry um at your wedding and mm. they were like very epic tears of joy you know so i was like oh you look so, so hot it wasn't i i was like uh kenny looks so good well when i did come to see you for your birthday you did spend most of it in the middle of my sentences, telling me that I look really hot. You did. And I think that what matters not is that what matters not are the words that Mm -hmm. you speak, nor the content of your character, but your physical appearance. (laughs) Yeah. Those are, that's, that's wise and sage wisdom that you have there. Um, You're listening to Big Soy Naturals. (laughs) Happy, um, a new episode now that I'm a different age. I used mm-hmm. to be 26, kind of the kind of the shit age. 27, it, it's going to be a lit year for me. Um, and it's also my Saturn return. But I don't really subscribe to the idea that anything can get in my way or bring me down. Um and I am, you can follow the Big Soy Naturals on social media at mm. Big Soy Naturals everywhere. We have a Patreon. If you wanted to give me a little birthday present, you could give us money. Yeah. Patreon.com slash Big Soy Naturals, where you can also listen to bonus episodes. It's not, you don't just give us money, get nothing in return. Although if that's what we gave you, you should be happy with it. You should be and grateful. And you can follow You're me. Welcome individually on social media if you would like i'm commodify this everywhere that matters Mm -hmm. and 
and you could you could slide into my DMs and say happy birthday to me, and I might respond or I might block you depending on if you've got a good vibe and yeah. if your profile picture is cool and what sort of things you're doing on your account. Sometimes you guys message me and I look at your page and I'm like, mm, I don't, Mm-mm. I don't need that Mm-mm. near me. So you should get right before you come talk yeah. to me and then say yeah. happy birthday to me. Yeah. I am. She Herzog everywhere that matters. Um, you can't say happy birthday to me, especially this month. No. Um, and you know, I'll let you, I'll let you know when it's my birthday. Then you can slide into my DMS, but for now, Kendall um, is a Virgo. Stay out. <laughs> Kendall is a Virgo. If it was not, if it was not incredibly <laughs> obvious from, from the everything, every, from the everything about everything, this <laughs> podcast is also a Virgo. And People, one more thing about this podcast, we have a Discord now. Would you like yes. to hang out with us um, on Discord? You can. You it can. Is, it's not like a Patreon exclusive thing because we thought about it. And honestly, and I know that there's like people that we know that do this and I'm going to cough and imagine that I'm saying Gorilla Radio Show. <laughs> but I do think that the idea of like paying someone money to hang out with them on Discord is a little bit cucked. And I don't want to feel like I'm financially dominating you any more than I already am mm-hmm. by calling you all pay pigs. And I don't want you to feel like you're a customer for talking to me. You are absolutely you know, you're a not customer a customer for listening to me. You're absolutely not a customer because you know what? The customer allegedly is always right. And you guys you are not are always wrong unless you, you agree are, with us. You are but if, always wrong. But if you want to hang out, you can hang out. But... And, and you can you can DM either of us or like mm-hmm. our producer or uh, you know like there's you various can, places you can get in yeah. touch with us for an invite link. It's probably also going to be in the description of this episode. And I think it, I'm having fun in the peanut chamber. Yeah. I'm pleasantly surprised that so many of you are not as terrible as I thought that you might be. <laughs> and I look forward to all of you continuing to prove me wrong. Um, I do have a pretty low opinion very nice. of all of our listeners. Um, and I just, I just don't, I don't think a lot of you are smart based on the, the people, the people that have reached out to me with stuff to say have never been people that have impressed me um, with, with some notable exceptions. I've gotten some good book recommendations from some of you and you know who you are, but like, uh, you know, it's there's not, quite a few of you that like it's not great out there. Well, there's quite a few of you that I feel like just enjoy being both fin dommed and emotionally dommed. And like, that's we, we joke about doing that, but you seem to take it very seriously and sincerely. And yeah, I, just I just wish you would I get well think, soon. I think it's a little bit lame to like pay money to hang out with podcasters in a mm-hmm. di- like can you imagine going to see your financial advisor and they're like let's break down your budget and you're like yeah so for five dollars a month i hang out in a discord server with some podcasters and if i stop giving them five dollars then they kick me out of their discord yeah. server and, and it's and it's like I don't you know I'm not so cool that you need to pay for the privilege to hang out with me. No, you you get to hang out with me by being cool in return. 
And I also like, I think hanging out with me is probably worth a little bit more than $5 anyway. So if you were like, I think it's priceless. If you were a freak, then $5 wouldn't make a difference. Um, But everyone in the peanut chamber seems cool for now. I'm not, I'm not making any um, permanent statements about that, but uh, come, come hang out. And also welcome to cho- I might do a drone strike in Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 Part 3, where today, I think I promised all of you that I was going to play some video games, and I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> I did not do that. Um, <laughs> we, we love primary sources as a, as a research tool and, and as, a, as a way to, you know, check our sources Keep ourselves honest. I read Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality for you guys, but you know, playing video games is just like it's just a it's a hair too far. I just can't do it. I also don't have I mean, I'm working off of currently a laptop that is older than some of you, probably, that crashes yeah. constantly. Um I te- my television setup. Is it's something that um, a friend of ours while have... we were there for the, for your birthday said, this is the setup of a home that um, does not value visual media. So. It's, you know, it's just not, I, I don't have the tools to play the games. Mm-hmm. So I did, I, but I do, I care about primary resources. And I wanted to take up a magnifying glass and hold it to some actual video games that the U.S. military developed for training materials or that they consulted on as a recruitment tactic. And so you should imagine us in the outfit of your choice. Imagine yeah. us in any outfit you wish. Um, holding oh, up a like ju- any outfit. Oh, oh no. <laughs> Kenny, they would never imagine us in an indecent outfit. <sighs> they took a pledge. They took a pledge? Yeah. When did they take a pledge? Uh, when was when was they- I there? Uh, yeah, we were all there. What's the pledge? I pledge I pledge allegiance to the naturals. To big soy naturals. <laughs> um uh, <laughs> and I believe in no god but God, the Father Almighty, <laughs> uh maker of heaven and earth, of all things seen and unseen. I believe in one holy and apostolic podcast. Mm. I believe in the forgiveness of sins by you and I, mm-hmm. the resurrection no of the dead by me. I think I'm mm-hmm. going to take that, that part. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, and, uh, oh, the, and, and life of the world to come. You can be in charge of that part. Oh, okay. So you're like a necromancer and I'm like a bringer of life. That's well, fun. I'm not, I'm not necromancing. Di- I'm bringing them back to dead like. For real. They're not oh, okay. going to be zombie types. Oh, okay, I'm they're gonna... smiting. You're smiting. In, in I'm a way. Ju- I, I'm not, mm, I don't think that you smite when you resurrect the dead. Okay. We can work on this, but they took a pledge. They can't imagine us in indecent outfits. So don't worry. And listeners, feel free to continue imagining <laughs> us in acceptable outfits. We are holding up a giant magnifying lens and we are melting each branch of the military like ants as we look at these primary sources, which I did not play, but I did do a lot of research on. And then I think Kenny 
has played some of these and you're just gonna have to like take our word for it this time that we took someone else's word for it Mm -hmm. rather than having done it ourselves but i i trust my sources i checked their sources and i checked their sources sources i watched youtube videos of people playing games and i don't know how how you guys do that for fun it was incredibly unpleasant i (laughs) was reminded of Dating teenage boys when I was a teenager, going well, over someone's it, house and having key, to, like I wouldn't do that. It's key fun. to watch the ones with no commentary where someone is just silently playing the game because men. That's as also per usual, like dating a teenage boy. It is. It and, is kind of like dating a teenage boy. Yeah, and people pay money to see people do that, and it's like you could just you could just date a guy. I'd imagine that that boys are still doing that, or not boys, like adult adult boys. Um, and you could still have that experience if you wanted to for free. If, if you just get like on Tinder or something. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the first game that I want to talk about is America's Army. And America's Army is a unique game. Or it's, I don't know if it's that unique anymore, but it is important in the history of military collab video game development because it was the very first game that was funded and created by the U.S. military expressly as a recruitment tool. And it was released on May 22nd, 2002, a little over six months after Ludacris's 24th birthday on September 11th, 2001. Um, But the recruitment tool as games, coincidental release timing that, you know, just it, lined up so well with the attack on, I wrote down our great nation. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think I was, I was getting in, I was getting into it. Um, yeah, you were getting so the character. <laughs> on the attack of the United States, the greatness of this nation. Hotly debated. Debated and determined to be not so great by me. Um, but the, the, the timing of this with, you know, some wars that we were about to get into um, and maybe a need to recruit more people into the military, completely a coincidence, unless you believe in your heart that George W. Bush let Osama hit those towers because he was goofy. Um, it's up to you, dear listeners, but the xenophobic frenzy that the United States was like whipping itself into at the moment definitely helped with military enlistment. But mm-hmm. and here's a here's a little investment tool. It's always important to hedge your bets. You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. That's that's real investment advice. Unless yeah. that basket is banana coin, and then you can put all your money in banana put it all coin. In there. Because it is, it's success guaranteed. It's failure proof. The value of banana coin is always going to go up. You but should ask Peter Thiel's uh, dressage horse, who's Thiel? also investing. Th- is it Teal? We've been saying his name for like several episodes. Well, it's Teal then. <laughs> Peter Thiel. Where'd you get that from? I don't know. I think I. I was listening to too many white Spaniards pronounce Barcelona, Barcelona, and I just got kind of wrapped up in myself. But, um, you know, as, as someone who who rides uh, dressage horses, uh, I have Peter uh, Teal's dressage horse jockey uh, 
invested in banana coin as well. Um, just the jockey, just the, the just the, the jockey. I'm working okay. on getting to Peter. Um, oh, all right, but we're, you know, it's 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 all about networking. I got to get up. I got to climb up the ladder, as it were. Um, but I'm getting there. Um, okay, <laughs> Peter Till aside. Just because maybe you can look into the future because you know when 9-11 is going to happen and you know that it might be good for recruitment. You don't want to assume that just because maybe hypothetically some people knew that Ludacris's 24th birthday was going to be a day that we always remember and never forget. Lane, um, producer Lane, can you can you add in here that Ludacris song, just like a little bit of it? But, the part where he okay. goes, I'm a Virgo, get my sign right. Yeah. Get the time right. It's 9-11. I'm a Virgo, get my sign right. Born on the worst day. On a cursed day. This tower crumbled on my motherfucking birthday. Okay. But it, it might be still a good idea to have some other potential avenues for military recruitment. Because in 1999, since history was ending... The, the Army's recruitment numbers, they were at a 30-year low. In 1999, um, the Army had missed its target number by 7,000 like recruits, which was, at the time, and so far, uh, the worst showing in the history of the all-volunteer force. Um, so this was, this was around the time that the big brains that run our nation got the idea to do a little video game. And who would know better than hedging hedging your bets than Lieutenant Colonel Casey Wardinsky, which I believe is a... A familiar face. Polish last name. Um, and he was also the director of the U.S. Army's Office of Economic and Manpower Analysis. We're going to throw out another acronym because they love acronyms. It's yep. OEMA, O-E-M-A. Not a great acronym, not a word. Nope. Um, but he was essentially, at the time, the Army's top economist, and he was working on his Army-funded doctorate in policy analysis at Rams Pardee Graduate School, and the Rand Foundation is a federally funded think tank, and at the time it was conducting research into why teens were not attracted to the army. You never be, want to be using federal dollars to work at a think tank on teens. Be like, what are the teens up to? What are the teens attracted to these days? Um, but Wardinsky was speaking regularly with the lead researcher on this project and found that the data indicated that 15 to 24 year old males no longer particularly valued the skills and values historically associated with the army. These are not my thoughts on what those values are, but in his own perception, those values of the army are leadership, discipline, patriotism, doing something for the community, (laughs) traveling the world. You know, I would say that we... Doing something for the community that can be defined broadly. It's not yeah. saying doing something good. And they definitely do Could something be, for the you know, community. And breaking also, mailboxes, you kicking can puppies. travel the world. You can travel the world. That's one of the travel 
it, when I imagine traveling, I picture something different mm-hmm. from what the military is probably uh, picturing. Right. I like to get snacks when I yeah. travel. <laughs> I, I like to look out the window of a train. But you, you take know, some pictures, get some souvenirs. They, go they home. let you travel. They let you do something for the community. I'll accept this. But these were not the skills that uh, 15 to 24-year-old males were that hyped on honing and developing in the year 1999, which might have been... Was that the year Fight Club came out? Um, let me check, actually. I'm going to quote Fight Club from memory. We have no great yeah. war. We it have is. no great depression. Our great war is spiritual. Our great depression is our lives. And so that's that's where young men were in 1999. They didn't want to join the military. They didn't want to do anything for the community. They wanted to hallucinate Brad Pitt and have sort in of tight a... tight little slutty outfits. They wanted to have kind of an, an erotic relationship with the Brad Pitt <laughs> that they created in their mind who is them. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, or in the words of... Corey Mead from Warplay, where we're getting a lot of this information from, these young men wanted to develop the skills valued by future employers, the skills needed to succeed in life, to do something mentally challenging, like start a fight club. They wanted to enjoy their lives. They wanted to get paid right away, or at least learn the things that would help them find a well-paying job later on. And sadly, none of these interests matched what young males thought the army could provide and they were they were correct the only incentive that young men at the time listed for joining the army was receiving tuition assistance <laughs> for college which is They're why like, we will never about. have free school and also you know what you can, you can get free college for a lot of other things that don't require joining the military mm-hmm. um I don't know if we've got any listeners that are in high school, and I might have given out this advice before, but if you are in high school and you live in the United States, you should drop out, like, right before you graduate and get your GED while all the memory of high school is fresh in your mind, because then you can get a lot of, uh, like, you could go to college for free, you all have to join the military. Easy peasy. Um, But the, you know, this was an image problem that was, like, 30-ish years in the making that the U.S. military and the Army specifically was having to deal with. Um, the, the Vietnam War was not, it was not, it was not good for PR. Yeah, um, let's say. <laughs> um, and so at, after the end of the Vietnam War, there were some image problems that were facing the U.S. military. But I think that we can see that the U.S. military was able to sort of stave those off with the looming, like, threat that the Cold War, um, you know, continued to promise. And as soon as the Soviet Union collapsed, a lot of Americans believed that they would be safe from war because what they thought was the major antagonistic power but was actually the only political entity, like, large enough to hold America somewhat accountable. The Soviet Union had collapsed. And the the Vietnam War's public image, it was just, it was not good. Mm-hmm. Um, that had a lot to do with uh, television. Like, 
suddenly being a thing that was in everyone's home. And so the military wasn't able to manage the narrative of the war the same way that it had in the past with sort of like carefully picked photographs, uh, carefully broadcast statements of certain people in the military rather than just like kind of kind of the everything of everything. And it and also the, the war the war was a bad war in terms of was America doing a good job and looking good at, at doing things. But that was, I think, compounded too by the technology that like came out oh, in yeah. the 19- or not came out in the nineteen sixties, but like became a lot more democratized and people got to see just like the reality of war. And the reality mm-hmm. of war is well, not, especially like film photography. It's not good for recruitment. This, yeah. You know, people don't want to see that you don't see there were, that like, and literal think, soldiers during the Vietnam War who had cameras, like handheld cameras with them. And that's not something that was like really um, something that could be afforded to soldiers in previous wars. It was usually there was a war photographer who was right. going to be there the entire and time. What was on your little hand camera could make its way back to a like a major news station. Yeah, and via this was back when there your were like wife, your friends, your were like brother channels. Yeah. So <laughs> everyone got to see the Vietnam War's public image was so bad that it killed the draft. And mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I'm not, I can't see into the future, but I, I think that the, the likelihood of there ever being a draft again is very, mm-hmm. very low. And like a lot, a lot of things would have to move into extreme circumstances yeah. for the draft to be revived because of how bad the public image was following the Vietnam War and it was able to be managed somewhat by, you know, creating the truth. And I'm going to put that in, in scare quotes that uh-huh. people only join the military because they, they want to. And so now it's an all volunteer force of people who really believe in the, the mission rather than just like randos. And by really believe, out of like, like graduating <laughs> high school, yeah, people who who want, I guess, like free college and are stupid. Yeah, people who want free college and are stupid, or people who just do believe in the cause, but only to the extent that they want to kill brown people. Across but those the- those people are not usually the ones that are like the little guys on the front. Yeah, um, they they do a, a, a little bit of college, and then mm-hmm. they get to be like some dude pushing buttons or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, you know, be that as it may, there were many, many reasons cited by the young men of 1999 why they didn't want to join the army and why they wanted to join something else, such as a fight club. Um, They didn't want to join the army because they thought that it was going to lead to a loss of personal freedom, which they would get from, from starting a fight club. They thought that like military service was irrelevant to future careers. It was actually going to hold them back from their like prospects rather than move them forward. And that they were worried that they might hate the army once they were enlisted, which had a good hunch. And uh, <laughs> they, they were worried about the loss of a normal lifestyle. Yeah. Well, and also, so this, this is, isn't this necessarily a PR crisis. Yeah. And this isn't necessarily derogatory um of like the 90s but it was an an era of like it was very individualistic and it was an era where i think a lot Ooh, of people 
We do generational discourse. Well, I think like I, I think it's. Would you it was say that their great culturally. war was spiritual, <laughs> and that their their great depression was their lives? Well, I would say culturally, they um, there was a lot of like, um, like cultural backlash against like the the office drone. Like everyone and their dad had like an, a nine to five, and a lot of like the cultural like pop culture zeitgeist was about how terrible it is to be someone who works in an office and gets a middle-class pay. Um, So I can't like, and the rigidity of that, like was something that a lot of like younger people were trying to fight back against, you know, fight back is like a strong term, but it's how I think emotionally it was, it was an emotional truth. I think the other thing to point out here is that for all of the reasons cited as most popular for not wanting to join the military and the army specifically. The one that would probably come up from young people today, if you asked them why they are not interested in enlisting, would be that they don't want to get hurt. You know, that there's a safety risk. And I think that you can see here that that people not citing that is evidence of the the feeling that people had at the time that we were done. We were done with wars. Yeah, um, and they were done with to wars. Be fair, they didn't know. They didn't know that nine eleven was just around the corner. That yeah. at that point, Ludacris was only twenty two. Yeah, what they were yeah. afraid of most was like rigidity, loss of like a normal life, yeah. having to buzz your hair and like salute a guy. Yeah, it was every all time. lifestyle things and how it was going to affect them individually because there was no reason. For people who weren't, you know, like super paying attention, like 18 year old boys not paying attention to like politics and history, there was no reason for them to think that on on Ludacris's 24th birthday, things things were going to change. Um, and when I think if you were to poll young people that joined the military in the immediate aftermath of Ludacris's birthday, 9-11-2001, a lot of that would maybe not be that they changed their mind about the lifestyle that the military would afford them or the opportunities, but sort of a, a sense of uh, like wanting wanting to be in service. And so mm-hmm. there was no reason for people to think that either in 1999. Um, and, you know, not wanting to just assume that 9-11 was going to happen the the military was in a PR crisis and they wanted to find a way to improve their image in order to get more young people interested in joining. And even worse, not only was the military's reputation publicly at an all-time low, the army was was ranked lowest of all. Teens rated the army as by far the least desirable of the four military branches of service. They claimed that the army was low-tech, sweaty, (laughs) dirty, and dangerous, and for people who have no other (laughs) options in life. Um, According to these teen respondents, the Air Force was high-tech and elite, I guess because they used planes. The Marines were elite and sweaty, uh, but they were not low-tech, although this is not true. The Marines are, like, pretty low-tech because they're just, like, ships. Um, Yeah. And the, like the Navy was in the middle ground of, like, not as elite as the Air Force, but okay. But the Army, 
was located in the absolute lowest lowest quadrant of ranking. No one wanted to join the army. That's like it's like if you join the military, at least you you join the air force and you get to fly a plane and you get to make loud noises like once a year in whatever city you live in and they do those like demonstrate yeah the the, the shows yeah the air shows fucking sucks i hate it my dogs hate it um but you know so this is we're in a we're in a certified pr crisis for both the military and the army and i would never work for the army ever um, but in my, if I put on, you know, my, my, I'm, I'm the white Don Draper mm-hmm. hat and like, yeah. how would I, how would I solve this? It's like, we, <laughs> I, I think I would have some of the same ideas. It's like you, you mm-hmm. would want to improve what the image is that people think of when they think of the military. And so the when I think of like a parody be- of improving Ooh. military, um, relations with the public in the 90s i would think of creating like a cool cereal box mascot who skateboards <laughs> like some kind of like very cool mascot with sunglasses Are you allowed to skateboard in the military thing well that's what i i would change that that's what i would do in the 90s Instead it would be like now you can skateboard yeah you can like like oh man i've got this lame skateboard and then it's like a guitar riff as a as a fucking tank rolls over the skateboard it's like new improved like Mm. we've got this new improved like vehicle that you can it's much cooler than a skateboard join the army do you think that the reason that there's like um an adderall shortage right now is because they're not putting enough sugar in cereal anymore and so there's like no um well i have been to holistic alternative i have been to the aisles recently i've been to the grocery store aisles and I don't think it's that they're not putting enough sugar in cereal and and kids stuff because they still know. have they still I have some they some, some snacks that are color cereal. changing and mm. like s- yogurts that have like neon colors. Okay, so I don't think I it's that. I have to talk about video games, but can I make a confession to you? Yeah. So raised vegan, as mm. you know, um, I could only watch from afar as. Um, my peers ate their snacks during lunch and I could I since I, I wasn't friends with them because I am I'm a, I'm a sigma male and I have been from a young age I didn't have friends because I was an iconoclast and I marched to the beat of my own drums but that meant that I uh-huh. couldn't ask them what they were eating mm-hmm. and I don't know if you remember the snacks that were popular when you and I in the you know, immediate years after nine eleven, mm-hmm. um, where where young young kids eating snacks from the grocery store, but they were, I don't think it wasn't obvious what they were just yeah. from looking at no, them. It was, they took all kinds was of a shapes bit and colors, and you really needed to experience it um, firsthand. For, you know, you, you needed to, yeah, yeah. You needed there, empirical there, there, knowledge. There were, there were of moments. The where you would be like, hey, what's that? As this person put, like, purple glop, like, all over their so, food. And they'd be like, oh, it's ketchup. When like, I was... That was the hyper-reality um, we were living in. When I moved out of my parents' home, mm-hmm. and I had to go vegetarian in order to eat free food, because free food tends to be pizza, um, I took that as an opportunity to try out some of the snacks that I only saw from a distance. 
And so are you familiar with like that cheese that is like, it is orange. Like it is not the color of cheese. And then there's like these little like long stick crackers, but they're not that long. They're like finger size. Yeah. 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 But they're they're thin. Yeah. 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 And so with that, there's also a red stick, a Mm -hmm. little red stick that comes with it that helps you apply the cheese to the cracker. So when I was a kid, I always saw people finish their snack by eating that red stick. Imagine my surprise when, as as an adult, I find out it's wax. <laughs> to this day, I don't know if you're if you were if supposed I, to eat the stick. Okay, or when if you that's said just they ate how it, people finished their when meal. you said they ate it, I'm shocked because I I I've had that snack. I've never I've never eaten it. Well, I guess what? logically, like when you finish the rest of what's in the container, I, mean, I look at. But that it's thing. not like you eat the plastic that it comes like, in. I thought, but they, they it's were children, plastic. so they don't know. They didn't have the survival instincts. Well, to this know is not what I mean by wax. like you really Unless had to be like there edible. because if if you're well, if you're you one of our if, if you're one of our Gen Z listeners, you really did kind of have to I'm, be there. I'm Gen Z. Well, I mean, like you know, I'm talking about the 15 year olds. That listen to us. I don't know if they're Gen Z. They might be like the next Alpha thing. Or yeah. whatever the hell it's called. Well, whatever. You young people, you had to mm-hmm. be there. Because like God, you're like you're you're twenty you're twenty-nine. No, I know. <laughs> young people. I just there were so many like things that were like clearly hazardous that we were ingesting. It was kind of you like a, it was kind of like doing. how I imagined the fifties were when they were just putting lead in everything and they were just like it's fine. Mm. It's you know like what that. you're doing when you when you're like young people. I realized it's not you like making yourself old. No. It's you creating distance between. <laughs> <laughs> I just I don't want <laughs> like you and the the twenty one year old illiterates because really like not eight years is nothing. No, I don't think of myself as old. I do think of myself as like pretty young and sprightly. But you're like I'm not the same as you. No. <laughs> all right. I, I've read so, books. <laughs> We're all going to put ourselves in the mindset of being the white Don Draper. How would we approach this PR crisis that the military is in? I'm going to read off some suggestions that were initially given after the the minds in charge of recruitment at the at the army asked for all hands on deck to brainstorm. And I'm going to use a word that I learned from our Discord: Scrum. Scrum is when you have a meeting. And you work in tech. Some of our listeners do that, but I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't mind them. So they were scrumming, and these were some of the options that they proposed. Perhaps personal computers could be given to new enlistees, <laughs> or recruiting stations could be relocated to areas with greater foot traffic, such as the mall. Perhaps teenagers could be offered laser eye surgery to join the army. <laughs> Perhaps the jails could be emptied. Um, perhaps Ethiopians and Somalis could be recruited to beef up the army's numbers. So what in the know, fresh when you, hell is When you're this? brainstorming, it's like no ideas are bad ideas. So they were like, let's give everyone a PC. Um, so and it's honestly, like mall, how, laser how eye surgery, and then it just goes like right to like, let's recruit immigrants and prisoners. Yeah, like, but there we go. honestly, how different is that from, like, you know, free college or whatever? It's, like, yeah. carrot. Um, mm-hmm. so, carrot stick. Yeah, the stick is that you have to join the yeah, army. That's... Um, 
Patrick Henry, who was the Assistant Secretary of the Army for Manpower and Reserve Affairs, stated that young Americans needed to be convinced that the Army was not an employer of last resort. Um, to this end, the Army had to find a way to link together emerging technologies and a soldier's drive towards self-edification. And so as a part of this effort, the Pentagon raised its recruitment budget to a record-breaking $2 billion a year. This was in 1999. Mm-hmm. You look up like, their recruitment budget for this year, it's, it's going to be different. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it is so interesting to like look at this time and realize that, that 9-11 really did change everything because the military was in crisis. And there was uh, like... I mean, they were grasping at straws um, and at the idea of emptying the jails in order to fix the recruitment numbers. And there was like a real a real image problem. Yeah, I'm manifesting a future like this pretty soon. I think I think that we're we're we're, we're about there and that will be part four. Um, But in January 1999, which was right before the military's scrum session, our friend Casey Wardinsky was doing something that many people who will eventually have their heads separated from their shoulders in the glorious new world that I will be creating as dictator have also done. He was attending a cocktail party in Calabasas, California. Evil. And on the warm winter night of this Calabasas cocktail party, Wardinsky was drinking margaritas and chatting with a man named Jesse. And we don't get to know his last name, um, but this is also from the book Warplay by Corey Mead. And Jesse was a friend of a friend. Jesse was describing his business, which was distributing media on CDs for the movie industry and assorted advertisers. And Wardinsky was like, how much does that cost? And Jesse was like, um, like a little bit more than a dollar, like shipping included. And Wardinsky was like, oh my God, we just got a $2 billion blank check. That's so interesting. Um, and you remember he's an economist. So he, right. you know, was able to do that math in his head. Like, <laughs> Wow! Like that's, oh, a that's, dollar. <laughs> that's so cheap. Um, let, me, let me do some and, calculations really quick, like the fucking Minority Report. Mm, a dollar per he household was like, as, in America. As an economist, as an economist, that's a pretty good deal. Um, plus, the this CD distribution aspect had another um, key aspect, which was that it would cut out the middleman because. In other uh, forms of recruitment, it's either like you have to pass some kinds of standards in order to get a commercial on television. You have to like not be so strange that you get thrown out of a high school when you're recruiting Mm -hmm. like high school students. You know, there's like always an intermediary in the other um, like methods at the time of recruitment. And so having a CD delivered directly to people would sort of solve the issue of like needing to, uh, you know, hold to any standards um, about what that tactic of recruitment was looking like. And mm-hmm. because a, a game is is also entertainment, um, other criticisms could sort of get like hand waved if it seems maybe like the game is sensationalizing aspects game. of war or something. It's like, well, you know, we had to we had to change that to meet the needs of the medium, but we're not as the army saying 
like this exactly. Like they're, you know, it like gives mm-hmm. you the distance that fiction gives you. Um, and Bardinsky summarizes the army's image problem like this. The imagery that the American public held in their minds about the army was vivid, but it was vivid dangerous, vivid bad, vivid abuse, vivid <laughs> degrading. It sucks, right? Platoon, all the movies made about Vietnam and about how shitty the army was and the cruddy leadership and the lousy conditions or vivid heroic, but in a negative way, saving Private Ryan. Heroic as hell, but I don't want to be there. Um, Every single person who who we have quoted is like truly a wordsmith. Vivid, <laughs> vivid, heroic, vivid, bad. Vivid. Can well, we put you know, vivid, was, bad on a t-shirt? He was going to graduate school on, on the federal government's dime to do <laughs> think tank stuff. They probably weren't giving him a, you know, a, a word of the day calendar. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got to settle for vivid abuse. Um <laughs> Wardinsky, I think tellingly also said that army veterans can do more harm than good in terms oh. of like image spreading of the, the military and the army and like in particular. He said, even if they love the army, the stories that veterans tell are going to be vivid because no one wants to listen to some boring story about hanging around the forward operating base, eating steak and lobster Served up by Brown and Root in an air-conditioned mess hall in Fallujah. They went to hear about the ambush or getting blown up or how you overcame the screwed-up army. So even if veterans said you are not MASH, you're not, not like, fighting the good fight, you're in an air-conditioned house eating surf and turf. So even if veterans love the army, the stories they are going to tell you are about somebody getting blown up. So from a recruiting perspective, they're not our friends. We have no friends. And I think that that, like, is so key because this is true. Like, the average experience of someone who is in the military is, like, sitting around until something, like, incredibly violent happens either at their own direction or to them. And it is just, like sitting around getting McDonald's. They've got like McDonald's on base. It's like, it's not exciting. The reason that war movies are exciting is because movies need to tell a story, mm-hmm. but then those are exciting also in a way that's like, uh, maybe it doesn't, it doesn't make you want to, to Join, go into war yeah. that bad. And again, in the nineties, the war movies that you would have been seeing probably if they were not historical films um, about responsive like, World to War II, Vietnam, where um, like you know the the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, all of which would have seemed like pretty far away from people's memories, would have been about or like you said, responsive to Vietnam, and yeah. so it's like the imagery that they had to work with was either like stories that were boring or like really fucked up from actual veterans, or like not the best propaganda because this was. This was also around the same time that the U.S. military started really getting their little hooks in into Hollywood. But it yeah, was I mean, not Full Metal yet. Jacket came out when exactly 1987. Also so 90s, like, yeah, oh, so like, no, it was like, so it was that, and that was one of the biggest like war movies for like next couple of years, I assume. So like, culturally, it was probably 
again, along with like Saving Private Ryan, which was one of the boring what which World War Diesel II movies. Is in. He is. He's in yeah. Saving Private Ryan. That was that was like his big break. I totally. I don't know why I blacked him out. Oh my god, you're right. He wasn't. I'll Saving never Private forget Ryan. anything that Vin Diesel is in. <laughs> um, but it, you know, so it's it's like they they had they had a media problem. Yeah. And I think that I want to think about that as we like go through some of these games in conjunction with the marketing tactic um, that sort of advertises that, th- that these games are realistic because they might be based on like real aspects of war and legitimate aspects of military training, but it is a less truthful realism than what you would hear from a veteran who's like, yeah, we sat around all day and ate McDonald's and then my friend got blown up. Um, like it is a realism from the perspective of PR and not realism from a perspective of, of reality. But before the project of America's army began, Casey Wardinsky was not Mm -hmm. very familiar or interested in video games. He and I kind of the same. (laughs) What he was interested in was like reforming the traditional recruitment paradigm which was more of a numbers game. He said Mm -hmm. that like many recruiters, they didn't care about the kids. They only cared about getting those kids to sign up for the army. They were all about quantity and not quality because of the incentives for getting like. Yeah. It doesn't matter if those kids are like dumb (laughs) or violent or Mm -hmm. um, kind of incompetent or, or they're going to be all of those things. Yeah. Who, wants to join the fucking army when they could be starting a fight club. Mm -hmm. Um, Wardinsky was after the kinds of recruits that could succeed and spend their entire lives in the military. And he set out to make a game that would attract them. Um, The military had already been like spending a lot of money towards creating training games, which we had talked about a little bit in our previous episodes, but this was the first ever time that the U S military was going to finance it a game um, development for the express purpose of recruitment. And he wanted to create a recruitment video game that was going to be successful in changing the military's image and bolstering the recruitment numbers for several reasons. One was that America's army was going to be explicitly designed to target 12 and 13 year old boys, um, which is cool uh, Wardinsky said that he wanted to capture the youth mind share, um, young people who had yet to decide what to do with, like, who had yet to decide what to do with their lives. And this would mean that they would be targeting not just, like, next year's potential capture recruits, but the, the youth, next decades. Capture the youth mind share yeah, sounds like something it's that not great. those guys that we talked about in our Dumbledore whole episodes would say in order to, like harvest the youth serum that like exists in all young people's blood apparently like it's not great it doesn't it doesn't sound good to say out loud and it, it it's he says when a kid starts thinking about what he's going to do with his life it's not at age 17 it's more like age 13 you can't wait until they're 17 because by then they will have decided that they're going to college or a trade school where they'll already have a job that they're planning on staying in. You have to get to them before they've made those decisions. I'm going to say right now, and I and maybe there's maybe there's an institution 
that is an exception to this rule, but I think anything that requires you to be 13 years old to believe in the tenets of what it is trying to sell you on. Yeah. Um, not 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 at least 13. Do you know what but like I we need to, to get do? you specifically at 13. Do not you know 13 what I and up. When I was 13. 13. When I was 13, what did you want to do? I wanted a Doctor Who tattoo when I was 13. Oh, I was I, I honestly quickly, if you if you got me at 13, I'd be the same as I am now. Yeah. I would I didn't want that shit. Well, I, you're no, very doc, no Doctor Who's tattoo. Well, this is what I've said no about military. you before is that you're very consistent, but like I just think in general, most you are an exception olds, to so. the rule. Most thirteen-year-olds have poor and an iconoclast. <laughs> You're a maverick in some ways. My um, role on the commune would be trendsetter. Yeah, yeah, and you'd be very good at it. And no My... one would be like, "Hey, we need an electrician." They'd be like, "Thank God, we have a trendsetter. <laughs> we have someone who can tell us what's hot and what's not." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I feel like something that a lot of people who like still believe in the goodness of institutions. They're always like, I can't believe someone would say this out loud. That's so crazy that someone would say something evil out loud. If you just like even tap the surface of like any major institution, industrial complex, what have you, you'll find that they'll just like say it to anybody like, but what's cool is they don't think that, that it's evil. Yeah. You know, we think it's evil because we have different moral standards. Yeah. But they think it's like patriotic. So it's not going to be difficult to find people saying, yeah, we need to get them young. We need to get them before they, they've developed their, their own uh, systems of thinking. We need to get people who are not old enough mm-hmm. to make decisions. And, and 12 and 13 is also like, that is too young to have a... Uh, like a recruitment officer in your school. Yes. They only have those in high school for a reason. Fun. Um, which is, which is Super that, cool. you know, it's still, it's still not great to have them anywhere, but there is an idea that maybe uh, as you get closer to adulthood, you are a little bit better at making decisions relating to what kind of adult you're going to be. So by getting around that and sending a CD directly to people's homes, they can they can reach people as young as yeah, real door to door salesman. Instead of selling you knives, probably, he gives you younger, a tank. Probably younger than twelve and thirteen, and like I said earlier, they were intending for this to be something that could be a bit more targeted than just the numbers game of recruitment that, um, like, recruitment officers were working towards. Ordinsky wanted to develop a to develop a game that would like weed out potential dropouts that um, would not do as well in the, in the military and recruit people that would be more likely to succeed. Um, and there's a difference again, between the all volunteer force and the draft. He says like explaining the difference. Now I'm trying to match your interests to some piece of organization where before it was like, we're going to match your abilities to some piece of this organization. That's a whole different approach. And that interest piece is, is killer because we may have jobs that aren't interesting or they're not interesting at the price we're willing to pay. And so there's an ongoing discussion and conflict between what we're willing to pay 
and what this job is worth in an economic sense. So the game is also like helping develop the interest um, in doing some of these tasks that a person who is not otherwise exposed to this propaganda might, might they might be like, hey, I don't, I don't want to do that yeah, for hey, no. no money. But if you know you have fun playing a game for uh, five, five, six years, if you start playing it from the time that you're 12, then maybe by the time you're 18, the idea of doing something that has seemed fun to you in a game and that you have been told is realistic doesn't seem as unpleasant as it would have otherwise. And that's important because at the time, um, and and now still, the army dropout rate is real high. Really high. People join and they learn, oh, this shit fucking sucks. It is 18%. That's like, that's not good. Yeah. Um, and the training Because well, immediately, costs- what, are, what are you doing when you enter the army? You're going to boot camp. And yeah. what's at boot camp? You gotta wear a ugly bunch clothes. of ugly clothes, a bunch of guys who are gonna berate you all fucking day long and tell you you're and, worthless. And girls now, they let girls yeah. join. And girls, there's and gonna be women who also do do reverse misogyny on you and tell you that you're also worthless. And I think nothing. reverse misogyny is when a woman does it to a man. I oh, think it whoops. would be regular you're misogyny. Right. It'd be regular misogyny. And then also reverse misogyny. And then also probably. reverse misogyny. Probably. I w- yeah. I would imagine that anyone who is dumb enough to join the army, but who has a little bit of brain would probably drop out unless they were super backed into a corner um, once they joined. And the training cost is around $100,000 per soldier. So that like dropout rate is a pretty serious financial loss. And so a video game as a recruitment tool can also let people test drive like basic training and actual battle and Wardinsky saw America's army as a way that he could weed out those who might drop out at a like greater expense to the government at a later date and so the game was developed specifically towards meeting that goal he wanted it to not just be like a first person shooter that's fun but one that requires investment before it yields reward. And so at the time it was unique because it required basic training to start playing the game. Um, He, you know, he wanted you to feel like getting to the battlefield was a reward in itself. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I, you know, it's, I imagine Don Draper saying all of this. Mm Mm-hmm. But he would never, because he he didn't no. do that great when he was in war. I think. No, he didn't. Kind of, I think kind he of, was kind of, of a famously. Loser. <laughs> well, he was a loser, but and then he like used his dead what sergeant's identity mm-hmm. to become Don Draper. So I feel like he probably wouldn't be touching a military project. No. Um, one of the ways that America's army helps prepare potential military enlistees, which was also different from other first-person shooters at the time. Um, was like requiring you to again like do this basic training before you played any role and so before you could do like there was an aspect of the game where you're a sniper or an aspect where you're a medic like for each you have to do the appropriate training regimen which you know like it's it does not sound fun sounds like work but people play farmville like, people play all kinds of games where they got to do work before they get the reward. So I guess uh-huh. it's not that different. Um, 
And the America's army was also intended to improve the reasons why people would want to join the army, not for free personal computers or LASIK, but, but for the values, yeah. the values that the army has. Can you so name some values. of those values? Um, honor, mm-hmm. respect, mm-hmm. dignity. I'm just naming words. Loyalty. Peace, love, unity, respect, also known as plur. Plur. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, or, but maybe not peace. No, not the peace part. But like loyalty, I would assume. Viol- violence, love, unity, respect. Ooh, blur. 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 Um, like vlogging. The, yeah. Um when the propaganda is working well, the US military is sort of meant to be seen by everyone as kind of like a like a missionary type force. One that both leads to like the betterment of the the morality of the people that are in it, like the you know, the military turns you into a better person through your service in it, while also, of course, leading to the betterment of the places where the military deigns to visit to travel to. Mm-hmm. So they travel there and to do things to the community. Um and this like quasi-religious role of moral betterment was something that served the military well right up until the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. And then it you know it was it was struggling to recapture its pre-Vietnam image. And it really like the video game we could we could say maybe it helped, but um I would say that 9-11 was probably what put the military back into the idea that it, it was a it was a tool to better yourself and better other places. Because now we got to go do a crusade mm-hmm. in places where people did the crusades like a thousand years ago. Right. Um, 9-11 also helped some other aspects of the game's development, but they totally didn't know that it was coming. Like no, they just they threw this all. stuff in later. Um, one of these criteria was that the game takes into account international sensitivities. Um, <laughs> okay. So by that, I doubt it. Just based sh- on the everything about the games a- industry at the according time. According to Casey Wardinsky, they initially struggled to design the bad guys of the game. They were like, "Oh, are they so be? hard." But he says that was pretty much solved for us. That was pretty much solved for us on September 11th, Um, (laughs) because they were like, "Okay, we can we can just do Al Qaeda." I don't know. I imagine him just like lounging on a couch, like fully horizontal, like just sipping a mai tai while just being like, "Oh yeah, everything was solved after 9/11. We could do a racism whenever we wanted." Yeah, he <laughs> said it could have just you know? been stere- uh, stereotypically Arab-looking guys in terms of how to depict Al Qaeda. But he said, "But we chose not to do that oh, because Al Qaeda isn't stereotypically Arab-looking. They have Arabs, they have Swedes, they have Somalis. So we made the bad guys look like everybody. <laughs> One of those things is not like the other. Yeah. I'm going to say I think that they threw Swedes in there to to trip us up, um, but." You know, like there is probably I I did watch some gameplay of America's Army. I'm gonna say I mostly saw people that looked like they were meant to depict um, Arabs, but 
I'll say that maybe they threw a Swede in there. I didn't watch that much of it. Um, he wanted the game to emphasize the Army's seven core values. We got some of them right. Mm-hmm. Loyalty, duty, respect. That one's in plur. Uh, selfless service, honor, integrity, and personal courage. And by focusing on basic training and Army values, that also helped find the correct spin for justifying the game because at the time it was brand new it was also costing taxpayer dollars to people who were like you know still getting up in arms about the morality of video games period at the time there were anti-video game crusaders um senators joe lieberman and another guy named herb cole who was also a senator i guess he's done yeah don't name your kids He's hurt. over flop era for Herb Cole. Well, it's just, you know, like, don't name your kid Herb. True. What's, what are they going to do? Herbert. Herbert? Well, I assume like, it's... Like Sherbert? Yeah. Isn't that what Herb is short for? That maybe it was like Send Herbert. us an email if, you, if your name is Herb. <laughs> and let us know how, how much we've offended you on a scale of 1 to 10. No, um, if your name is Herb, change it. It's yeah. not. It's not a good name. It doesn't command respect. Mm-hmm. It's like it's a bad name. Unless, it, like, is it Herb? Herb? No, I think it's Herb. <laughs> no, I don't think it's I, not, I, not a good name. I think name. even mo- I think almost every parent, even naming their kid Herb, would not be like it's pronounced Herb. I feel like <laughs> I feel like at that point you're not you like CPS is called like. Well, Herb who I, I think is no longer in office unless he has changed his name, and Joe Lieberman, um, at the time, were leading a joint congressional investigation into the industry's marketing of violent video games to minors. So, obviously, if the, the military is marketing a violent video game to young minors, they need to have a, they need to have a blur sort of spin to it and not just, like, here's a fun game to play. So it's not just about having fun shooting people. It's also about integrity and personal courage while you shoot people. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> combating personal or potential criticism was like really important because this game, it was the first ever game developed for recruitment. And so if it didn't do and, well, you know, it was directly it being sent to the homes of children, you know, children. so the idea I the assume. government sending a CD to your home. Yeah, they're sending a CD to your what house. What happens to personal freedom? This is why I don't like. I we, don't vote. We're already around I don't want the time to know where, I live. where they're starting to send <laughs> like games in. Where they're starting to put like video games in cereal boxes. Right, we're not there That's yet. Different. That's not, random. Well, I'm just saying, like, we're not we're not at the point where just like a video game is in every home, right? But a computer is, right? Yeah. So like. The idea of like a, a fun little game full of flashing lights and colors being sent to the home of your child, and it turns out that he's like getting recruited for the army, or that it's like super violent, which was also a big discussion at the time. Was like video game violence, you know, like was the hot topic at the time. You know, I think we're going to get to a point where we're going to talk about um, Bill oh, Clinton. Coming. Yeah, Bill Clinton reading the Mortal Kombat ad from the magazine but like they're trying to combat that exact um criticism from happening because that was very common around the same time um that they were doing this 
created a little research division in the game's development team called the Red Team. And the Red Team's job was to review the existing anti-game literature in order to figure out, like, what areas America's army would be most vulnerable to criticism, which is what helps them sort of build their their vlur defense. Um, and by anticipating some of these criticisms in advance, Wardinsky hoped to guide the game's development in a way that would avoid or at least minimize these concerns. So two examples of anti-game activists. I was not really alive yet. I was I was merely a child. Um, so I they they did not think of me, but they should have. Um, two examples. One was uh, Lieutenant Dave Grossman, who wrote the best-selling book at the time on killing the psychological cost of learning to kill in war and society. And then Jack Thompson, who was a Florida lawyer who um, had made many like public and media driven lawsuits that made it made him, according to the book war played by Corey Mead, the bane of the video game industry. So Grossman had this book, you know, where the primary argument was that video games and simulations desensitized soldiers to the act of killing. And Thompson was like, I mean, he was like, well, I guess all lawyers are sort of, you know, like yeah. New Jersey, New mm. Jersey looking at, you know, driving up to accidents and then offering their services. So he Jersey was suing adjacent. video game companies on behalf of parents that had lost their kids in school shootings. I guess I respect the hustle, mm-hmm. but yeah, well, it this just was, does seem like something again, that a Florida lawyer would be up to. Columbine was a big uh, point of contention in the discussion. Ooh, we're so we're so close to yeah. Columbine time. Yeah, um, and so so the red team, the red team, they were developing some design criteria to make sure that they would avoid these criticisms. They knew that their target audience, which was 12-year-old boys would be most interested in the game's combat elements, but they couldn't make that the main selling point of the game, lest they be accused of glorifying the violence of war, which of course they were not doing. They were just creating a better and cooler image of what war was like, but not one that sensationalizes or glorifies it. And so they tried to emphasize both in the marketing of the game and also in the game's design itself, that the army only does sanctioned and not random violence. <laughs> um, Wardinsky oh, says okay. it's different. No, it's different because it's justified. Yeah, totally. it's not random. It's totally. not random. It's totally they're, fine. They're doing it on purpose. Yeah, we're doing it to bad people. It's and not innocence. And so, so the Wardinsky says the army's job is to fight the nation's wars on land, and that entails the managed use of violence and we use as much violence as it takes to do the job and we put that in the game uh that is we put it in the army story um so the violence in america's army was going to be backed by america's and this is still in quotes from wardinsky credibility and reputation um he goes on to say you can't just have a billboard in the back of the game listing those values and call it done. Somehow you've got to show those values and why they're important. Um, So as an example of how this was done, like here was a training scenario or like a game scenario for, 
a training in the game that he gave developers. One was have a basic training where players can choose to do the wrong thing and then show them why it's the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Say that players want to be a medic in the game, and when they're yeah. taking the medic exam in basic training, they can sh- decide to cheat and look at another player's paper. When they're on the battlefield and they're responsible for wounded soldiers, the fact that they cheated in basic training means that they don't have the skills to do the job and other players will be uh, will know that they're incompetent. Um, another, I mean, this is a, hmm, what's would, the word that I'm looking for? What's, what's a, what's a, like a word that means pipe dream or like, like fat chance mm. or haha you thought. <laughs> I'm not sure, but I think pipe dream works pretty well. So yeah. I guess this is another example of how the game sort of emphasizes the army's core values If a player does shoot one of his own team members intentionally or not, he is immediately ejected from the game (laughs) and thrown into a virtual prison. And his player rating is reduced by several points. Um, That is not what happens when you shoot your teammate in real life in the military. They might even congratulate you, um, depending on who you shoot. And Wardinsky also wanted the game to show some of the inherent conflicts in war. Like one element of training says don't leave a fallen comrade, but another says mission first. And it's like you kind of have to decide as you play the game which one that you do. And so it's it's training you to think maybe how, how you would th- how you would think if you were in the military. Uh-huh. Um, there's another scenario in the game where you have to leave a, a wounded comrade in order to complete your mission. Um, so it's, you know, it's not just about the sanctioned violence. It's also about the sanctioned leaving your, your dying, uh, comrade on the ground. Do they call them comrades? They don't, right? No, um, I know they the call quotes, them something. Like from Wardinsky say like wounded comrade, but I don't, I know that they're not saying comrade in the military. Mm, a little too Russian. They might be saying brosif. Yeah. That might be the official terminology. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta or, pick up my brosive off the uh, ground uh, here. As he's well, actually, out. no. Don't leave him on the ground. Yeah. Complete the rest of your mission. Leave leave Brosif to die. <laughs> <laughs> Do sanctioned violence. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit more about how the game is actually played. One thing that was innovative about the game at the time was that you know you could you could play with other people, um, but no matter how many people you played with, if you played solo or as a team against another team, everyone plays as America. And so you might see the other team's actions um, from your side playing it as like the, the opposing army, but Uh the way that they would be seeing it as they play is they are, they are America. Um, Wardinsky said that the reason for that was that if you could be the enemy, then we couldn't bind you to the rules and standards of conduct that we wanted because it was all about like teaching you what the army's values were. And so if you're supposed to be playing as Al Qaeda, like if you're taking turns with your friends and one of you is the U S military and the other one is Al Qaeda, that kind Mm -hmm. of, that creates an image issue. So therefore, no matter how many people are playing, whether you're playing by yourself or with others, both sides get to be America um, at least from from the perspective of the the players, and so that it was the first ever commercial game 
that for like a first person shooter that used mirror imaging so that you would always see yourself as the U.S. force while the other team was always going to be the opposing force. Mm -hmm. Which I think is like, that's fun. Yeah. No, that's nice, actually. It's, it's innovative. Yeah. Um, the, the developers also tried to, like, strike a balance between realism and gamer enjoyment. So the example that they gave was very funny. It was like, one mission involves taking a radio tower out of commission. In real life, rangers might simply blow up the tower. Um, <laughs> but in the game, they give you a mission where you have to like find that information and then decide what, what to do and work with others before simply blowing up the tower. Um, I do like that in real life, they're like, yeah, we, yeah, we would just, just blow it up. Yeah, it's Pew. fine. Um, Done. and there are now several versions of America's army. I watched uh, America's Army True Soldier, which was developed for the Xbox, which Mm -hmm. we'll learn about a little bit more in a future episode. But True Soldiers is also a first-person shooter, like all of the other aspect, like versions of America's Army. There are there is a nine-part individual training section, like it is like it is school. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there is a following nine-part team training session. And then that takes like hours if you if you play it in real time before you get to be on the multiplayer function of Xbox Live. Oh, but so you need to do it before you even get multiplayer. You have to play that whole campaign. You, yeah, you got to do. Well, it's okay. not like a campaign is like you you win stuff, right? And this is just like you're at simulated training. Like it's just yeah. Campaign like can also mean the story, shit. but that's not a story either. That's school, like you said. So. So it's like 18 hours if we're going by like parts, right? If I'm thinking on average, each part is like an hour and there's nine parts to the training session and then there's nine parts to the combat and each of the nine parts is an hour. That's about 18 hours minimum of time that you have to, you have to spend. Don't people have like things to do? (laughs) I would hope so, but apparently not. The game is also, like, super text-heavy. Like, Mm. it requires a lot more reading than I would have expected out of a video game. And, like, it's not subtle about how it is sort of trying to get you to think again about what the army's values are. The very beginning of the game says, like, it, it opens with the logo and then... Uh, beneath it are sentences that go empower yourself, defend freedom. And then there's like a gun sound um, and then you get to do basic training. And then there's also a part where it just like, it literally just reads you a speech and it goes on June 14th. So, oh wait, Lane, I need you to do dramatic music. (laughs) Okay. On June 14th, 1775, The Continental Congress created the Continental Army, which, after the Revolutionary War, became the United States Army, the U.S. Army, and the millions of soldiers who have served over the past two decades have been guided by the core values of loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, and personal courage. 
These values have been the bedrock of the most critical component of the armed forces responsible for defending U.S. interests worldwide and for winning the nation's wars. As the largest of the four armed services in terms of personnel, state-of-the-art equipment, Mm. infrastructure, and training facility, the U.S. Army brings talented soldiers together with cutting-edge technology and training to produce the most capable and respected military organization in the world and would you believe that that continues on for eight more paragraphs it's just it's oh just my like god lore oh my god about the army it's um, so much can you can you skip this like can you like rapidly press through it at all or is it like- i don't know because i was watching youtube videos so they were showing me the game it, as it was played but i oh, i hope so because like that's a lot of words about for, for shit. Very specifically, like, a, a first-person shooter where, like, you're just, like, I just don't, <laughs> it has a multiplayer function, right? So it's it's supposed to be COD. It's supposed to be Call of Duty. Call of Duty. Yeah, it's pre, pre-COD, but yes, it's, like, it's, it's, it's definitely like, that. It's that aspect to thing. it. Like, there have been games that have come out already that are like this. That's what they're basing these off, this whole game off of. Oh, my God. This is so much. So many words. words. Maybe they're trying to weed out in their recruitment tactic uh, the ones who are illiterate um, since they've been having trouble with that. you need to be literate to join the army. You don't. But I'm, I'm wondering if maybe they're just trying to weed out the people who get bored easily. You just need to know something. A- BC. I want to understand because those are the the ones on I guess the Xbox. I'm just trying to understand the motivations for making this game they, so heavy. They were like, we're, they're trying to, well, okay, haunting the game's launch mm-hmm. was the specter, the specter of Columbine. Um, mm-hmm. in 1999, the very year that they were scrumming about what, what to do, um, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, if you are not familiar with the history of Columbine, they were two guys that sucked and they killed, like, they killed 12 students and one teacher in their high school, Columbine High School. And we know a little bit more now about what was going on. But at the time, you know, school shootings, they were novel and people were trying to figure out why rather than now. I feel like we're like, they were losers. And that was why it was like, they oh, were losers. What, could make, what could make these guys do this? They and were losers were, and they had access to, to a gun. And that's pretty yeah, much it. That's, that's all that it ever is. Yeah. But they, you know, at the, school shootings were new back then. They mm. were trying to, trying to make sense of something that you can't really make sense of. And so one of the things that was coming out in the immediate aftermath of Columbine was that allegedly Eric and Dylan were both fans of first-person shooter games like Doom, which came up in our first episode, another game called Wolfenstein 3D. Wolfenstein? And so there was, like, rampant media speculation that these games specifically, like, desensitized them to violence. And if you remember, like, there was already a lot of scrutiny around video games period, whether they were like just wasting people's time 
or um, otherwise desensitizing them to violence. And so it was sort of a perfect storm for this like media cycle around the validity and the danger of video games. Yeah. In Um, the end, I will say that there's been a ton of research since then. And we know a lot more now about Columbine and video games, both. Yeah. They were just losers. They were just, they, they they were just losers And there's been plenty of studies since then that have basically disproven the idea that video games on their own are what is desensitizing children to violence. You know, it's it's a cultural shift. Casey Wardinsky was worried that upon the release of America's Army that there were going to be headlines everywhere about the armies using taxpayer funds to make Columbine 2. And so I think that that is like the reason why it was so text heavy, because it was like, we need to really let everyone know this is about patriotism. And when they get to do the fun shooter parts, it's the sanctioned violence of the army and not the random violence of the of the school shooter, um, which you can go in the army when you're a loser also, yeah. um, which I think is there, there is something there. Because I was thinking about how these games are exported, um, like America's Army 2, because it was a free game that you could download on GoArmy.com. But that one was like intentionally a recruitment tool. But all of the games that are like it, that use American soldiers as the perspective of the characters and also American wars or American like locations of of enemies... um, that the experience of playing it would be very different in terms of like what it desensitizes you to and what it encourages you to think if you are an American playing it versus Mm -hmm. if you are a person who like wanted to download a free game and you live in a different place. And I think that depending on who you are um, and where you're from, that it would either sort of encourage you to view the American army um, in the light that America's army and games like it want you to, to see it, you know, to, to see like the, the perspective of being an imperialist force in, in other places and using sanctioned violence is just something that is normal or. And, a, and almost um, like a God given right in a way like, that it's divine. Maybe s- Maybe you're a Swede and you see yourself portrayed as the other um, in, in these kinds of games. And uh, I, I'd imagine that the like psychological experience of um, playing something like that or having a game like that become popular in, even if you are in the United States and you're American and you're, and you're Swedish and you're Mm -hmm. like, I can't really distance myself from, from shoot, from shooting me, Mm -hmm. the Swede. The Swede in Al Qaeda. Poor Swede. I, I was uh, innocent. Like I was simply Swedes in Al Qaeda. I was like, simply holding my lutefisk and just just having a good time that? eating my stinky, stinky fish. Lutefisk hey, is a very stinky Swedish, fish. If you're Swedish, uh, send us an email at sorry at bigsoynaturals.world. Let me know how you feel about playing first person shooters. Does it make you feel bad about yourself? Does Your identity. It, does it give you problems? Um, and, and I like, just want to reiterate what, what Kenny was saying. We have data about Columbine, other, other mass shooting type 
events. And there is no evidence that like video games, um, that, that countries that are the most into video games are the countries that experience the most gun violence. Like if that was the, if that was the case, then there would be some kind of correlation. The countries with the most deaths from gun violence are not the ones that spend the most on video games. The United States is like, it's like spiders, George. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I do think that that is an interesting fact to keep in mind, and I don't, I don't think I have any conclusions that I can personally make from it. But it's like, with all of the, with all of the other countries, if you're playing these first-person shooter games that are exported mainly from the United States and mainly having you like slip into the perspective of an American. Um, I maybe like maybe maybe that like connection of of shooting doesn't feel as seamless um, as it does if you are an American and you're you're not having to slip into any perspective. You're just like embodying someone that is in the military, which is a little like a little bit more close to home and like something that could realistically happen than if you are uh, Swedish. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I don't know. Um, Something, something to think about. Um, but because Columbine was on the mind, the people behind America's Army really wanted to make sure that, like, it was clear to, to everyone that this game wasn't going to be training you to do a Columbine. It was going to be training you to do, like, an Abu Ghraib. Um, mm. May 22nd in 2002 was the opening of the Electronic Entertainment Expo. E3, baby. E3. Oh, it's it's a major, major expo for video games. It's where a lot of video games currently um, are announced. Mm. Um, So like people who are into releases of video games um, are waiting with bated breath to see what Todd Howard will lie about next when he of what he's going to put in his video game. He always likes to lie um, about like the next Fallout is going to have fully interactive um like ai fucking npcs that are gonna know how to pronounce your name and he lies and he's like the game just works and he lies again and (laughs) it's very it's a very fun game for us all to play if he's gonna lie or if he's gonna tell us that um skyrim is getting remastered for the 15th year in a row and they're gonna add new water textures um, and that seems like a place where you would get Funko Pops. It is a place where you can most likely get Funko Pops. I have not been, it seems but like, I would, like I would not doubt that limited edition Funko Pops. Yeah. Because there's, there's the, there's the conference where they announce the games and that's the live streams. And then there's the booths. And I assume at the booths where people can demo the games, you can also get a Funko Pop or two um, or something close to it. Funko Pop adjacent, you know? Um, yeah, it, this seems like it seems like Funko Pops Ground Zero. Yeah, but this was also the location where they were going to release America's Army. It was going to make its debut on the world, the public stage, the world stage, the Los Angeles Convention Center, which I think now is called the Crypto.com <laughs> Arena. Uh-huh. Um, that's that's where America's Army was launched, and it is now one of the most popular video games of all time and is considered by the army to be its most cost-effective recruitment tool ever. Um, And again, 
with Col the specter of Columbine, Wardinsky was very concerned with how the mainstream news media was going to react. But I think he wasn't thinking about how anyone that said anything slightly negative about the military and the like immediate aftermath of 9-11 just got like killed on public television. You like you couldn't say shit. So I think if there was going to be a negative reaction, this game would have needed to come out before Ludacris's birthday, and that's mm -hmm. probably why it didn't. Yeah. But America's Army was intended as a tool for recruiting gamers, gaming teenagers, into the military, and so it was going to be available for free. Um, you could get hard copies also for free. You could download it at goarmy.com.gov.org. I'm going to look this up. I do not recommend going, going. to Go Army. Let's see. I'm typing in .com. It is .com. That feels wrong because, like, it's not a commercial. I mean, okay, it, it is a commercial entity, but I, I feel guess. like they should be they should be .gov unless mm -hmm. .gov oh, they or .org at least. You know, yeah, like an organization. Yeah, .gov doesn't take you anywhere. It should be .gov, but you could get you could download the game. By going to goarmy.com, which I do not recommend, um, or by you could get a, a hard copy there. There were also going to be hard copies available. You notice we're speaking in the in the past E3. tense here. You can no longer download America's Army off of goarmy.com. Do not try. Don't go. Um, Is that true? Yeah, they they shut they shut down America's Army servers. I'm pretty sure recently, like this year or maybe last year. Uh, why don't I know this already? I'm pretty sure, mm. right? Well, we're gonna have to take your word for it. Yeah, <laughs> but let me. I'm. I'm. American I might be also Army. thinking of a different military recruitment game, but I'm pretty sure I'm thinking of America's Army. Um, that they shut down the servers. You know, um, they only pay fifty k, like for when you join. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so um, you little. cannot download America's Army yeah. from GoArmy.com, but the game is available to play from like several different places. You could definitely download it elsewhere. Yeah. I don't, I don't recommend it. It's but very boring. Um, yeah, it's a lot of fucking text. Um, so he he was like, ah, it's going to be controversial. It wasn't. Um, Casey Wardinsky remembers that on on that day. He got a message on his BlackBerry from, and we're going to, I'm, I'm going to mention several things that are blast from the past in a second. Mm -hmm. He got a message on his BlackBerry from Lori Mazoff, <laughs> who was the game's public affairs specialist. The America's Army had made the front page of the Los Angeles Times. Wardinsky was like, is that good? Mazoff was like, it's great. The article didn't make mention of anything controversial. As Wardinsky walked around the convention center he received news that the Associated Press and readers had picked up the story. And here we go. The game had made the front pages of America Online and Yahoo. <laughs> and he determined that all the coverage was neutral to positive. One website, pennyarcade.com, okay, even to, called it the best misappropriation of tax dollars I have to ever. interject here. Pennyarcade.com Um is a website that used to be, and I'm not sure if they still do. It, it's a video game webcomic 
Um, it's a web yeah. comic about video games, and they also it's wrote reviews to, of video um, games as well. Um, and they, you know, your friend um, mm-hmm. Erica Moen of Ojoy Sex. <laughs> oh, my, my very close friend Erica Moen. Yeah, your neighbor in Portland, mm-hmm. Erica Moen. I go to her. Um, I go to her local garden <laughs> every day. We wouldn't. We wouldn't have her if it weren't for Penny Arcade. Yeah, she was on a Penny Arcade. Yep reality tv show yes she was where she got her um initial scholarship yeah penny arcade her oh joy sex toy comic penny arcade also created penny arcade expo which is also now known as pax or pax east um which is also a video game and general funko pop like uh ground zero um it is funko pop event it's a funko pop event and it's also like a video game event um, so you should know that Penny Arcade, as as players in the space, have become rather large um, outside of just making a video game webcomic. They also now run an expo, um, essentially. I don't know if they We're still run it. We're going to be running it, an expo in about a year, yeah. but it will not be a Funko Pop. It's going to be called Bax. There will be no X's. Mm-hmm. You'll know that it's an expo because we'll we'll... Spread it. We'll spread that information through word of mouth. Mm-hmm. But I'm tired of the letter X. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's been so. So what's ours going to be called? LGBTQ plus community. Um, hmm. big big soy event. Big soy event. A little BSE. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So within two months of the game's official launch, which was July fourth, two thousand two, they were sort of previewing it at the Los Angeles dot com or sorry, Los Angeles crypto.com arena. Um, but the official launch was a few months later on July 4th, which is the, um, it's the 4th of July. Uh, so the, you know, patriotism, it was downloaded from GoArmy.com over two and a half million times. And it, quickly became a phenomenon because people love they love free shit Mm -hmm. and america's army became the crown jewel of armies recruiting within just a year of the game's release 20 percent of incoming west point um students had reported playing it and by 2008 an mit study noted that 30 percent of all americans ages 16 to 24 had a more uh, a more positive impression of the army because of the game and the game had uh, more impact on recruits than all other forms of army advertising combined. Hmm. I would argue that possibly the thing that happened on Ludacris's birthday um, mm-hmm. impacted people's yeah. need to play the game at all. Right. <laughs> I, I really do feel like you can't separate this as a recruitment tool from... You can't separate it from 9-11 and then also from the, like, drive to get people to go go do crimes in Iraq. Mm-hmm. I think had this come out in the, like, post-Cold War, pre-Ludacris's birthday environment, I'm sure that lots of people would have downloaded the game because free shit. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but, um, I don't I just don't know. I do think that we can attribute a positive like well, positive in terms of meeting its goals impact to this game mm-hmm. um in conjunction with 9/11. I think that maybe we could say that like 
military recruitment would not have been as high um, or that more people felt like being in the army was something that they could do because they felt like they were getting a realistic experience of what that would be like, especially given that America's army was going to be like, it was sending you during gameplay into regions very similar um, to where people were maybe considering going, going to war in, but it, it's like, we, you can't talk about it in a vacuum. No. Ludacris's birthday had just happened. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, it, it, it's kind of weird for them to kind of, I don't know, phrase this as if the game itself, like, in its own vacuum, in its own bubble, created so much recruitment. Like, as if, like, all Americans had a more positive impression of the army because of the game, and even more amazingly, it had impacts on recruits. Like, I feel like those two are separate sentences. Like... What is interesting is that when you read interviews... Um, from the various people that worked on the game, they're all like, yeah, 9-11 was a godsend. You know, like we were trying to figure out how to um, do this, like one aspect of the game, but then, you know, like 9-11 happened and so we were like, oh, okay. We were good. Or they were yeah. like, you know, we wanted to create some some sort of motivation and, uh, oh, then, then 9-11 happened and, well, then, then we had it. So it's like the, the two things are in, in extra, Inextri- oh my god, inextricably. Inextricably, probably. yeah, you got it. Yeah, they're su- you know they're super fucking linked. Um, <laughs> is is another word for inextricably, um, and it's I think like again connected to what we were talking about in the previous episode about how like that that period before we started doing neo crusades and after the Cold War was everyone that was in charge of bullshit rubbing their little hands together going like fuck we need another we need another war we need another war right um, now <laughs> like let's go i will say that the like supposed accuracy of america's army i think did have um a really serious impact in um like enlistment numbers and recruiting people into the military and into the army in particular um, that one statistic about how West Point students like within the first year that the game had come out had reported playing it. I think that, that they're like the marketing that this game was was realistic and could convey some kind of accuracy about what being at war would be like and what like being on active duty in the military would be like was something that would that pushed some people over the edge. Um, in getting them to join the army. And then I think also was something that made people feel like they were preparing themselves mentally, which is what the game was intended to do for people that had already decided that they were going to join. And so I think maybe curtailed some of those dropout numbers because people were not getting cold feet like once they were in boot camp because they had already done 18 hours of training to play the game. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, what's boot camp to playing 18 hours of clicking through text telling you about the, the Continental Army of the United States? Truly a walk in the park. By the, by the, the Continental U- U.S. in July 1775. It's like, after, after that, you could do boot camp, no problem. Um, the accuracy does not derive 
from giving you a simulated experience of ordering McDonald's in <laughs> Afghanistan and sitting around until one of your friends blows up. It's more accurate from the depiction of the weapons, the uniforms, some of the missions in the game, as well as the like geographical backdrop. That part was pretty accurate. Or the, the Swedes running at you. That part was accurate, too. Um, and so, like, that also is, you know, it's like picking and choosing what the what the realism is. But it is, a I think, a powerful, like, marketing tool because it gives someone the sense that they have an idea of what being at war would be like in a way that wouldn't be possible with the first-person shooter game that is, like, in space. Mm-hmm. Um, or it has you, like fighting a war in a fantasy location or even in a historical location. And if it is, if it is a place where your country is like actively at war and then you're playing an American wearing the same uniforms that Americans in the military wear using the same tools like simulated that the military uses, you know, you, you, you start being like, yeah, yeah, that could be me. I could do that. He's just like me for real. So um, I had two more games for us to talk about, but we spent a while talking about one game. So I think that if you'd like to hear about the other two games, the next one is Full Spectrum Warrior, which was developed by um, the Army as a training game and not as a recruitment game, but then was one that you could you could purchase commercially. And uh, the other one is uh, Call of Duty... Modern Warfare, the one that came out in 2019. Mm-hmm. If you want to hear about either of those, slide on over to patreon.com slash bigsoynaturals. Um, otherwise, tune in for part four of I Might Do a Drone Strike in Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 part four, where we're going to talk about some other shit and not talk about those two video games, which will be in the Patreon episode. Mm-hmm. And Kendall... I have something to tell you. Oh. So I was walking around Philadelphia. Are you, oh wait, are you familiar with the Stations of the Cross? Um, I don't think I am, actually. You were like not raised in a religious environment, no. right? No, I was not. Okay, so Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, Big man. He got crucified. He got crucified. He got canceled to the cross. Yeah. But before they canceled him to the cross, they called him out. Mm-hmm. And then he had to he had to carry the cross mm-hmm. like up like uh, like in a sort of video game mm-hmm. sort of like there there are multiple checkpoints. Uh huh. You're putting this there in terms check- I can understand. Okay. <laughs> right. So there there are twelve. I don't actually I don't remember if there's twelve, but I think there's twelve. There's a number of checkpoints. A lot of twelves and, in the Bible seems like. Yeah, because it's a good number. It's, it's a good divisible number. by three, and it's divisible it's by good. four and by two. It's, it's very like, good. It's it's a it's I've a got hell no of a number with the number twelve. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, but, so he's he's going to all of his checkpoints, and uh-huh. at each of his checkpoints, he either receives items or he drops them or he talks to someone useful or not so useful, just like in a video game. I bring this up. Because I was walking through the streets of Philadelphia where I live, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I 
passed by a Catholic church, which is normal. There's so many of them in Philadelphia because we've got Italians, we've got the Irish, we've got like Puerto Ricans, we have uh, Polish people. A lot of Catholics. Lots of lots of Catholics, and they all have to have their own church. Yeah, they can't. You can't, they can't have mix. the Irish and the yeah. Italian mixing. They'll get upset. Some of the other groups, it depends. Um, normally, the stations of the cross are inside the church, and it's like a thing that the Catholics do when they're like walking around during like the time before Easter to remember how we could all be canceled, or like Jesus got canceled so that you couldn't get canceled, or something like you know. Hmm. They did something interesting, and they put the Stations of the Cross outside the church, oh. and instead of images, they did a QR code. And you could you could scan the QR code on your phone, and then it would take you to a little image of, like, uh, Jesus walking around uh-huh. uh, with some text <laughs> underneath and being like, hey, wow. like, when he was at Station 3, like, this thing happened, and then you'd have to scan the next QR code. The and modern world invading theology. That, like, I would like to be the Pope in the metaverse. Mm. I don't think that there is one yet. I think I would. That would be where I would like to reside. I think you should do it. You should be the little legless pope with the little. I think you'd look mm-hmm. really cute. Your little avatar will look really cute with the pope hat. Yeah. Also, like listeners, imagine this image that I'm going to paint for you. Everyone's sitting in the church, mm-hmm. but they've got VR headsets on. Oof. Church is happening in the virtual plane. Holograms but they're still, they're still in the location altogether. Yes. Yeah, they're still there. Okay. But they well, cause cause I think, you know, VR headsets are expensive. Mm-hmm. So you're so everyone you get has one to, and you get Yeah. You get into the church, they hand you your headset, you sit down. Right, right, right. And you hand it back when you leave. Right. They're on loan, obviously. Hologram Jesus mm-hmm. in the church. Got it. Okay. VR headsets on. Oh, I love uh, I love this. Electronic dance music plays. Oh, I, oh, I love this. Oh, this is that's great. my vi- that's yeah. my vision. Oh, I'm if into anyone it. can get me in touch with like some some cardinals or something, I feel like they need a metaverse pope. I am more than willing to lend my services. I have some other ideas. Um, I think that maybe instead of the Eucharist, which is you know that's like the the little wafer that mm-hmm. you get. An NFT. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I see that. Have this NFT. It is my my skin. <laughs> These are my pixels. Mm-hmm. This is my code. <laughs> I give it on to you. <laughs> you know what? And with that, I think we say goodbye. Goodbye. Dear, dear pa- Go to Patreon. Patreon.com slash Big Soy Naturals. Go to Patreon.com slash Big Soy Naturals. And you can continue to hear us. But if not, goodbye, dear pay goodbye. pigs and prayer warriors. Bye. Bye. You gotta see this. I remember syrup sandwiches and crumb allowances. But this a nigga with some counterfeits. But now I'm counting this. Parmesan with my accountant lips. In fact, I'm down in this. Tuesday with my food. It tastes like a play for the analyst. Girl, I can buy a Westie girl with my base stuff. Ooh, that pussy good.
just went viral. Right stroke, put a baby in a spiral. Soprano C, we like to keep it on the high note. It's levels to it, you and I know. Bitch, be humble. Hold up, bitch, sit down. Be humble. Sit down. Be humble. Bitch, sit down. Fucking sick and tired of the Photoshop. Show me something natural like Afro with your pride. Show me something natural like ass with some stretch marks. Still a take you down right on your mama's couch and on no side. Hey, this shit way too crazy. Hey, you do not debase me. Hey, I blew cool from AC. Hey, oh, I'm much as patient. Hey, I don't fabricate it. Hey, most of y'all be faking. Hey, I stay modest about it. Hey, she elaborated. Hey, this that great Poupon, that AV on that TED talk. Hey, watch my soul speak.